Well, good evening, go. LCM. Tonight is Wednesday, August 19th, 2020. The title of tonight's sermon is Sons, Not Fools. Sons, Not Fools. Come on. Well, church, we've been on the topic of repentance for a couple of weeks. And what we learned is an unparalleled truth that the fear of God defines your whole walk. It defines your whole life. It defines everything you do. Man, that is true. Many of you will remember this slide from Sunday, I think. This was 2 Corinthians 7 and the seven principles that were outlined between verses 10 and 12. With a speed and an urgency, we move to take action. From that speed and urgency, our actions need to be to clear away the stain of sin, not to excuse it. We develop a great burden for our own sin. That's what it means to be brought to repentance. This cultivates something called the fear of God that leads you to salvation. And as that divine work is happening in you, it's evidenced by a strong affection for God, a fervent zeal for His work wherever you have the opportunity. And no longer are you just dealing with your own behavior, but you are now a force for God executing justice on evil behavior wherever you find it in the world. Church, we also learned that when you look across the chiastic structure, the reason that you have an A and an A1 on the opposite side of each other is that they're also related in this way. That once you have speed and an urgent effort to deal with your own sin your own sinful nature, what you have done that has displeased the Lord, you are ready to see justice done on evil anywhere that it may be in your entire life and in the world around you. That once you have actions to clear yourself from the stain of sin, you are able to take that fervent action there and make it into a zealous lifestyle where you're fervent for the work of God to be done everywhere and in every way. When you develop a great burden for sin, what you have is an, an affection that grows for the Lord in equal to proportion, equal proportion to how much you have learned to loathe your own sin. And there again in the center is the fear of God. Somebody say fear of God. Fear of God. Well, in addition to these parallel truths, you guys remember there was one unparalleled truth. This unparalleled truth was the fear of God. It is the very thing that drives all of what you see here in the chiastic structure. And it is what a life with the fear of God looks like. All the contents of the chiastic structure. Oh, man. So we've been speaking to you about Greek words for weeks. Because the manuscripts of the Newer Testament that we have are in Greek. But the people that produced them were Hebrews. They prayed in Hebrew. They memorized passages in Hebrew. They spoke to each other in Hebrew. The Greek word phobos is a translation of a Hebrew word used throughout the Tanakh. And it's yare. We want to show you that on a slide take a look at the first bullet, you'll see that the word yare can be translated to be to be afraid, to stand in awe, to have fear. This verb occurs in the Ugaritic and the Hebrew. That should impress you. It's not just the Hebrew. No Semitic language fans in here. It's also in the Ugaritic. Both biblical and post-biblical might be another way to say that. The Bible attests 
it approximately 330 times and in all periods throughout the history of the Bible. We want you to understand that this word yare is a very prevalent word throughout the entirety of the Tanakh. It is shown, it is seen over 300 times and it speaks to you a consistent message about being afraid, standing in awe, and actually having a fear of the Lord. In addition to being used in the Ugaritic and Hebrew text, our second bullet point, it is used of a person in an exalted position. Yare uh, connotes standing in awe. This is not simply fear, but reverence, whereby an individual recognizes the power and position of the individual revered and renders him proper respect. See, this second bullet is all about the position of Yahweh in our lives. That is the unparalleled truth that this word is driving to. Now, the reason we're going through that is we don't use the word fear that way. In fact, when we use the word fear, we almost always mean it as terror or associated with something negative. But the truth is, is that there's more involved in Yare than mere psychological fear. The people showed proper honor and reverence for God because they stood in awe of Him. Not just Him, but His servants. And their songs, their written word, the entire Bible demonstrated. When we say fear of God, we are talking about a consciousness of what He thinks about everything that you do. We're talking about an understanding that somebody in a great position of power and authority that is owed your love, honor, and respect, his eye is upon you. Man, that'll change how you walk out your life. Wouldn't you agree with that? Yes. I want to get into our first scripture for the evening, and I'm going to tell you unashamedly, this is going to be a good night, unless you don't have a fear of God. And then it will be like every other night for you. But if you're genuinely concerned with how he views everything that you do, and your goal is to stand in awe and respect of him in all of your actions, and that's not just a lie and a lip service, then you are going to have a good night tonight if you're on the right side of that. Who wants to have a good night tonight? Let's all turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Now, we are a word-centric, word-rich church, but I'm going to tell you, you better get your, uh, get your turning hands ready here because we're going to get to a lot of scriptures tonight, and it's going to be for our benefit. Amen? Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. When you get to verse 1, say yare when you get there. Ecclesiastes 5.1 begins, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen. Rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few. Wow. As a dream comes when there are many cares. So the speech of a fool when there are many words. When you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. (laughs) Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow, not to vow, than to make a vow and not fulfill it. 
Do not let your mouth lead you into sin and do not protest to the temple messenger. My vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, stand and yare in awe, in fear of God. Amen. Now, some translations say, therefore, stand in awe of God. And the one on our screen says, therefore, fear God. That's because they're the same word. People have always struggled with how you translate this concept because so little of it is found in our society. The conclusion that Solomon has come to in this passage is that in everything we do, in everything that we say, we are to yare before God. Stand in awe and honor of His position in complete reverence for who He is. Now, when you do that, that has to affect the way that you pray. We have to show yare, or fear of God, even in our prayer to Him, because He is a great and worthy King. Wow. Well, this passage begins with a discussion about your steps when you go to the house of God. See, Solomon understood, and we should understand, that God has established a protocol. Everybody say protocol. Protocol. Because of the majesty of his name, the greatness of our king demands it. See, most of our message tonight is going to be about those very steps. See, church, it is important in our ultra-charismatic craziness that we do not ignore his teaching on this subject and uh, end up offering sacrifices of fools. See, that's why we've entitled this tonight, Sons and Not Fools. We're going to help you to walk through this protocol so you don't end up making a fool of yourself, not just in front of your brothers and sisters, but that you don't make a fool of yourself before the Lord Almighty. Yeah, we won't give the message away before we get there, but I would just go ahead and tell you that you often have made the sacrifice of fools, and it was not for any reason other than you cared more about what the people around you thought of what you were saying than the one you were supposed to be talking to. It'd be like trying to have a conversation with your wife on the phone, except you're not talking to her. You're talking to the other people in the coffee shop because you would like to sound good in their eyes. Wouldn't you call that foolish? Yes. Well, let's look at the pattern, the protocol tonight. The pattern is laid down from Exodus all the way through the Bible. And it said again and again and again, exactly like the pattern I will show you. You can take a picture of that slide if you like, but we just wanted you to see how often it appears. You can see that this original pattern and its expanded forms Remain consistent. It starts with the book of Exodus. It goes all the way through the book of Revelation. That God has a desire for us to understand exactly what his protocol is when we're approaching him. See, and one of the other things that you should also understand is that these steps may have been expounded upon and expanded upon, but the steps were never eliminated. See, our God set the pattern that was formed in the heavens and supposed to be replicated here on the earth. That pattern hasn't changed. We have to learn how to walk in the protocol in the pattern that God gave us. Look, this was, this is, and this always will be the key to understanding who God is and who you are and how an unholy people are made into a holy dwelling that the Father will honor. 
Would you say that that's an important subject? Very important. Even if you wouldn't say it, it wouldn't make it any less important. Tonight, we have before you something that could be life-changing for you. Would you like to see what comes next? Absolutely. Let's pull up the next slide. Your pastors are going to help you tonight. We're going to look at a linear version of this first and be able to walk through it. Notice on the far right, number one, we have the gates of praise. This was the only entrance into God's uh, throne room. And that by which giving praise to his name. After that, gates of praise of his name was the altar, the bronze altar. Followed by the labor where you would be able to be washed. And then you move into the holy place through another entrance. And you get to number four there, the menorah, which represented the very spirit of God. From the menorah, you move to the table of his presence. Or you could think of this like the very Bible before you. And then on to another altar, the golden altar of incense. And of course, there is lastly the ark, which is the throne of God's very name as number seven on the far left. Do you know what church in Solomon's time, their linear progress was present, but expanded to be all encompassing. Let's look at the next slide to see this. This is the picture of Solomon's temple. It's been expanded upon, but the original design is still present there. See, the steps to the gates of praise of his name were multiplied. Now there's more steps there. The altar, it was enlarged. You could not make your way around it. You had to deal with the altar of sacrifice immediately as you began to enter through the gates of the praise of his name. The labor is enlarged. More than that, after the labor, you can't help but notice that Everything else becomes all-encompassing. In fact, the number of menorahs was increased and the arrangement began to surround whoever was standing in it. Wow. In addition to the menorahs, the number of tables of their presence were increased and the arrangement of those was all-encompassing. And then after that, the golden altar of incense was present as well. Church, we're reminding you of some things that are important for us to get here as we're beginning. See, the ark that was the throne of the name of God was encompassed from above and below by cherubim, indicating that heaven was, in fact, yeah. coming here to earth. Amen. See, there are so many things that we want to share with you about this protocol or this pattern in approaching God, but we have to walk before we can run. Amen. Amen. That is the process that this is, isn't it? You have to teach a child to walk before they learn how to run. We want to teach you how to walk in this rightly tonight. Amen. We have to master the linear progression before we attempt this uh, all-encompassing version of what God has for us. We're going to get started. We want to show you this slide again. Do you have this in your laps? Do you have this? This is meant to be a Bible insert for you. It'd be a great place to write down the scriptures that we're going to give you. It may change the way that you view your very relationship with the Lord. We'll start again. We're going to focus on the gates of praise on his name. Number one on this slide and on the printout that you have in your hands. This is the first. It is the primary. It is the foremost step in the protocol of God. Is that right? You understand. Number one is number one. That's where you have to start. It is the step that we think that we already understand. But demonstrably, we do not understand it. 
And we're going to help you to understand it tonight if you're listening, if you're ready for this. See, this is not just praise and worship in the form of a pseudo pep rally that we're supposed to just start off our services or you just start off your prayer. It is the exaltation of the name, the character, Come on. and the authority of God himself. Yeah. You are coming through the gates of praise of his name. And you're beginning to understand his name, his character, and his authority. Maybe to help you understand and to aid in getting you into the spirit of what we're talking about, imagine that you were dwelling somewhere outside of Israel's camp. Because as far as I know, there's only a handful of people of Jewish descent in this room. So you're somebody like Rahab, somebody like Ittai, the Gittite. You're watching from the outside. What would you imagine when you looked out into a desert and you saw the tabernacle structure? I, I don't know what, how you envision it, but the truth is, is it's about the size of a Dollar General store with a single wide trailer right in the middle of it. It had no beauty. It had no majesty to draw you to it. It certainly was not like one of the magnificent structures in New York City, which is the only reason I can imagine anybody would ever go to that city. So what is it that would draw you to it? Since there were not those superficial things... What is it that would make you want to approach? Well, it would be the character, the reputation, and the workings of the God who is visibly present above it. Mm. See, that is what would draw you. That's how you would yearn for it. It wouldn't be based on anything other than what you heard about his name. And so you would begin to venture towards it. And that is the opening gate that you have to go through to be able to enter the structure. It's not just praise and worship. It is exaltation of His name as opposed to every other God. His name as opposed to what you're used to. His character above all Come else. Come on. Come on. It's that exaltation of His name that precedes all other steps. Because all other steps in the protocol are built upon this very first premise of exalting his name above all others. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 32, and we're going to look at verse 4. We're going to flash these on the screen because we literally are going to do like 50 of them. So you can turn as fast as you want to, but we're going to roll through them. He is the rock. His works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who do, does no wrong, upright and just is he. See, the cry inside of me is that, Lord, when I'm in the desert, I'm drawn to my God. I'm drawn to the rock of who he is. I'm drawn to him because he is the source of my life and the source of my salvation. I am desiring to praise his name because he is a faithful God who does no wrong. I'm exalting my thoughts of him because he is an upright God and he's worthy of me exalting my thoughts of him. His character is just. It is trustworthy. It is true. I'm declaring and praising his very name. Micah 7 in verse 18 says this. Who is the God like you? Who pardons sins and forgives the transgressions of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever and you delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Church, I was a foreigner and I had to look at something that was provided by God. I could see Him working in His people. And I started to understand what kind of God is like this. 
I need to come into the gates of the praise of His name. A God who pardons. A God who forgives. A God who does not stay angry. He delights to show mercy. This is His character. It's not just what He does. It's who He is. And I begin to see that. I begin to see the praise of His name. And it moves me. Again and again, God, you can demonstrate compassion. And I moved to understand, to exalt, to lift up in my own thoughts the high and exalted character, the name, the reputation, the authority of God Himself. Amen. When you're thinking along these lines, and we're going to keep working at this for you because you think you understand, but I promise you have to go deeper. This is why one pastor famously said, God loves me great! I love me too. Do I want to go to heaven? Of course I do. I just don't want God to be there when I get there. See, when you only want God to save you, and you know almost nothing about Him, then you have converted a pure religion into a selfish one, a man-centric one. The gateway to entering into holiness The way to enter into relationship with Him is to fall in love with who He is before you ever learn what He does for you. Psalm 19 in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. See, if you were Rahab, for instance, and you were looking out watching this, You'd say, the gods that I serve have made me act stupidly. They've pimped me out and abused me. But that God, the one that I see in the distance, He is trustworthy. He is perfect. He takes people who were simple and He causes them to act wisely. You would be drawn to the Lord because of His perfection. Amen. Well, Matthew 5.48 says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Oh, I can imagine myself like Ittai the Gittite, a foreigner on the outside looking in. And what I see is a perfect God who can also perfect me. He can include me into the nation of Israel. He can allow me to have those same promises. Allow me to join the perfection of who He is. That is a hope. That is a love for God. That He is perfect. And I am drawn to Him because He can become perfect inside of me. Revelation 15.3 says this, And sang the song of Moses the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the ages. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. See, you see that Moses and the Lamb's song are in perfect agreement here because it's about God's character. Come on. Yeah. Maybe you're not as drawn to the presence of God as you think because you've never started at step one. You haven't started with understanding who He is, what His character is like, that He is great, that He is marvelous, just, true, holy, glorious, righteous. 
See, all nations will come and fear you and worship you, Lord. But I'm being drawn right now. I'm not going to wait until the end. I'm being drawn to who you are now. Let me enter into the gates of praise as I understand the power, the glory, the majesty of your name, of your character, and of your authority. Amen. The vast body of work produced in the last hundred years. If you survey the titles, all of it is about what God will do for you. Almost none of it is about who He is without you. And if you put yourself outside of this structure and you are looking at what is it that caused the God of a Mediterranean nation to become uh, drawn and sought after all over the world, it would have to be scriptures like James 1.17. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Look, you can't say that about Allah, the God of Islam. He is capricious. He is fickle. He is wicked. He changes His mind regularly. Whatever He wants, He does, even if it contradicts what He used to do. So if you were standing there under the dominion of a pedophile God, then what would happen is you would look and go, I don't want this if I could go to that. I want a God like that. Yes. You might say, Lord, I see that every good and perfect thing in the world has come from you. You are the father of it all. I love that you do not change. You are dependable. You are the standard that I want to become like. You're not asking Him to do something for you. You're asking Him to make you like Him. Now that we have focused on the nature of God at the gates of praise, not the gates of a pep rally, the gates of the praise and exaltation of His name. Now that we have focused on the nature of God who is holy, we are faced immediately with a stark contrast. One that you will never find in a megachurch. One that you will never find in the vast majority of American churches. The stark contrast is the devastating disparity that our nature is not like His. See, if you don't start with lifting His name up, then when you walk through the gates, you don't understand the difference between Him and you. See, this, this identity crisis that you have he is holy and you're drawn to him and you are unholy compels you to change yeah we're not so much repenting for a singular thing lord i'm sorry i said that word lord i'm sorry that when i was five i stole the piece of bubble gum you're instead repenting of the thing that you are the sinful nature that is within you not the action The thing that is inside you that is producing that action. The only way you have this revelation is that it comes from contrasting His nature with your nature as a prerequisite for approaching Him. So at the gates of praise, we are exalting His name. And then as you step through the gates of praise, you are staring immediately at the brazen altar. Let's pull that slide, next slide, where we see the brazen altar immediately after the gates of praise. See, this brazen altar is the second step. And you have to, add, have to add, have the attitude that you cannot move forward. 
until you rightly come to this brazen altar. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 16 says, Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is a God of gods and a Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. See, my heart's attitude is, Lord, it is here at the bronze altar that I see how my heart is not like your heart. That my pride and my arrogance must die right here in this spot. Because you are the God of gods and you will not be swayed nor will you be bought by any man. I must repent of who I am, not just a single act that I did. Church, this is why it's a ridiculous notion for you to come through. And pastor, we've been praying through the tabernacle. But, but have you gotten to this step and not really known what to pray about? You're kind of fishing around in your own thoughts. You're not sure what to pray about as you are trying to offer up something on the brazen altar. On the altar of sacrifice. How can that be if you've rightly lifted His name high and you see who He is? And then you see who you are. Not just what you do, but who you really are. Jeremiah 17 says this. Pastor, I know why. Can I just be real with you for a minute? Because theologians have told you that since you're credited with righteousness, you are no longer that person, and now you stand before God righteous. The Scripture also tells us that. But you have to face the reality at the bronze altar that what has happened is you've been credited with something that is not a present reality in your life. This is why people have turned salvation into a one-time event instead of a daily interaction with the Lord. So when you come to this altar, we're not denying the fact that He is crediting you with righteousness. We're acknowledging the fact that you're not. And this causes you to stop going, let me see, what did I do today? Is there anything? And you start grieving over the very nature that is you, that is still there, that is not yet what God has credited you with. Come on. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. When I see the goodness, when I see his awesomeness, his power, the might of his name, and then I realize that I am in such disparity, I am in such lack, church, I always trust in my own thoughts. I always trust in mere flesh. I always do that in myself. And when I am lifted up His name, then I realize that I have to cry out because I stand before Him cursed. And I don't want to be that. But the reason that I can see that is because I've seen Him rightly and been drawn to Him. Not just singular acts. It's my very character. It's who I am. It's who... The part of me that must be changed. Who in this room does this not apply to? Trusting in yourself. Trusting in your finances. Trusting in your thoughts. Trusting in your emotions. Trusting in your perspective. Who does this not apply to? This is why you come to the second step. And you say, Lord, I've got to have you burn this up. I've got to have you take it with your holy fire and burn that part of me up. It's got to be turned into dust. It can't remain because I want to be like you. Lord, come in and change me. 
That desperation is what the altar of sacrifice, the bronze altar, is for inside of us. For us to cry out and say, Lord, change me now that I've seen you. The disparity is not worthy of a great king like you. Help me. Fix me. Burn these things away in me. Have you ever read the Beatitudes? Blessed are those that mourn over their condition. See, it is a great lie to walk in and say, Oh God, I thank you that you changed me. Really? He's done? The progress is over? You thank God that you were born again 20 years ago? What about the nature that is still residing in you that you call dead but is very much alive and active and moving in you? The one that Romans 6 says, do not let sin reign over you. See, when you exalt the Lord, then you walk into His courtyard and you are staring at an altar and you end up doing something like Psalm 19.12. Who can discern His errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. In my own life, this looks like, Lord, I don't even have the ability to know evil from good. That's how we got in in trouble in the garden in the first place, is me choosing what I thought was and was not good. But when I think about who you are, and the contrast with what, who I am, I see that I'm prideful, sinful, and have skeptical assessments. And they have to be burned on this altar. They have to die. I am visiting this altar like a Christian is supposed to visit the cross. And I'm saying, Lord, change me today. I offer you these parts of me today that they would burn up and ascend before you as an act of obedience because I don't want to be that guy anymore. Saints, we have a responsibility. Responsibility to rightly follow these protocols. That by exalting His name, we see the disparity between where we are and where He is. And that's to bring us to the next step of this brazen altar. Acts 17.30 says, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now He commands all people everywhere to repent. Unless you're a Christian. No. All people everywhere. And not just the first time that you were born again. This is a constant process. The protocol by which we are to come and approach God. That it is now a command for everyone, everywhere, at all times to repent. Because the holiness of God's name demands that we come to repentance. He is worthy of us recognizing our own condition. Not turning a blind eye. Not letting pride and arrogance allow us to not detect or hate our own sin. But we are to approach Him because it is His holiness that demands it. And have our sinful nature consumed 100% on this brazen altar so that we may stand right before Him. Revelation 2.5 says this, Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. The very sign of the presence of God in your life. He will take that from you if you do not constantly repent before Him. Is Revelation in the Old Testament, Pastor? No, sir. 
No. Oh, I'm sorry. I got my order wrong. I started at the wrong end. Revelation is in the New Testament, and this letter is written to a church, and the first words are, repent. There's a protocol for approaching the Lord. And in Charismania, we have bypassed it, and it has led to increasing immorality within a church that is supposed to be spirit-filled. Mm. It's not okay. We want to get this right, don't you? Yes. Church, Jesus is saying, repent and do the things you did at first. I repent. I'm not just repenting from the things that I did yesterday. I'm not just repenting for the, the bad word, the bad thought I have. I'm repenting for the part of me that needs to die, that needs to be burned up. And I know that He's the only one that can do it. I fear Him because He's the only one that can help me. I've exalted His name. I've been drawn by it. And now I've got to have my character, who I am, the parts of me that I don't want to show to you. But He sees, and I can see it because I've seen Him. Lord, burn it up in me. Lord, I repent. Change me. Yes. Make me like you, Lord, because that's what I was drawn to in the first place. Amen. Pastor said it so rightly, you can see it because you see Him. See, when you're drawn to Him, things start to become evident about you that you had been fine with. You didn't know. They're not on the list of things that you grew up believing were sin. You start to examine your nature compared to His and that contrast causes you to cry out, change me. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Lord, I'm circumcising away everything that hinders, that is, my very nature itself, and the sin that I've allowed to entangle me. See, those are two different things. One is a product of the other. See, if that nature is circumcised away from me, if I say at the altar, Lord, here and now it dies, let it disappear in this fire so that I can approach you as an act of you empowering me beyond sin. An act of grace. Having to properly assess God's nature and contrast it with your nature as the first two steps, you are inviting Him to circumcise your wicked being and your wicked deeds away from you yeah. so that you can move to the next step in the protocol, which is the labor. Now, you may think about this a lot of ways, but the laver is where you have His image renewed in you. Because His image is not you without sin. You follow me? It's not a cleaned up you. He has an image for your life. He has an image that He designed you to be. And once sin starts to be behind you, you can look into this labor and start returning to what He designed and made you to be. I, I'm going to take just a second here in a message that's already probably long and tell you something. Showing up and saying, I'm sorry, Lord, that when I was in third grade, I stole the candy bar and whatever else I can think of. That doesn't do anything but manage your sin. And it sure is a long way from 
being transformed into the life that He designed you to have. The labor is a place where you renew the image of the life that He has designed you to have. You are returning to what He made you to be. So, as we move to the labor, this is taking on the nature that He is giving you, the nature that is like His nature. Amen. As we put up the next slide, you will see that labor is number three. That it's here, I'm reminded of Exodus 30, verse 19. Aaron and his sons are to wash their hands and feet with water from it. Whenever they enter the tent of meeting, they shall wash with water so that they will not die. Also, when they approach the altar to minister by presenting an offering made to the Lord by fire, they shall wash their hands and feet so that they will not die. This is to be a lasting ordinance for Aaron and his descendants for generations to come. My cry is now that you have circumcised my heart, Lord. I give you my hands. I give you my feet to be the image you created me to be, to wash me with your image, renew inside of me the function of who I am. Lord, wash my hands and feet that I might serve you and rightly reflect the image of who you are inside of me, that I may live to do your will, live to be who you made me to be. Church, this is such an important step, such an important step. That you can be washed and be cleansed and actually see yourself rightly before the God of all creation. See yourself the way He sees you. This is not a small step. This is not a small thing. Isaiah 4 teaches us more about this. Verse 4. The Lord will wash away the filth of the women of Zion. He will cleanse the bloodstains from Jerusalem by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of fire. Then the Lord will create over all of Mount Zion and over all those who assemble there a cloud of smoke by day and a glow of flaming fire by night. Over all the glory will be a canopy. Church, in here in this verse it says that the Lord will wash. He will cleanse. But once you've done it rightly, you've been drawn by His name and you've had your own nature burned up at the altar, then you can come. And it won't just be that you will be clean. As a future tense, you are now clean. You have clean hands. You have clean feet. And now you can go where He tells you to go. Now you can do. Why? Because His Spirit is like a canopy upon you. But it's because you're seeing yourself. You're looking into the very place of what God is showing you about you. Man, this will change everything about your life. Don't tell me that you know this yet. We're your pastors. We see how you live. We see that many of you don't ever feel clean. You're not quite sure what it's like to feel clean. Maybe it's because you never lifted him up, never really got to your own character so that he could show you what and who you are. Man, what a beautiful thing. He can cleanse you to know that he's cleansed you, to know that you're clean, to know that you have hands that can do his work, to know that you have feet that will lead you in the right place. That is what this labor is for. If the altar is about your heart, the labor is about your hands and feet. At the altar, your heart is circumcised, your nature is changed, so that at the labor, you can renew His image and do with your hands and feet the very work He designed for you to do. Look, proclaiming yourself clean is not the same as being clean. (laughs) Psalm 51, 7, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. That is asking for the Lord to do it. 
I'm telling you that the labor, you might be able to pray, Lord, your altar transforms me. And now I look into this mirrored labor and I see your renewed image in me. I baptize. Say it with me. Baptize. Baptize. I baptize my hands and feet in it because they are now dedicated to your work. From this point forward, you have now made me white as snow. Amen. And it doesn't mean that you'll never have to do it again. Right. It means in that moment, you're as right with God as you know how to be. Who wants to be clean before God? We have to follow his protocol in order to experience that. John 13 verse 8 says this. No, Peter, you shall never. No, no said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. See, standing before God now with my sin atoned for at the brazen altar, I must let my king wash me with the image of who I am designed to be. I must cry out to him, Lord, I must have my feet washed by you so that I can join you doing your works, doing your will, walking in your steps, Lord. Halakha as you, Halakha, that you have made me clean so I can walk in your renewed image inside of me. Amen. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 14 says this. Blessed are those who wash their robes. Where do you think you're going to wash those robes, church? Blessed are those who wash their robes that they might have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates to the city. Come on, now that your hands and your feet have been washed, I can now see that I have the right to the very garden of God, the very city of His presence. You have a right once you've been clean. Once you understand that what he did at that altar is in keeping with his character and now you're clean before him. Lord, I can see now when I look into this labor, I can see that you are changing me, that you are making me like you. I look more like you now than I have ever done. I can dwell where you are because you've made me just as you are. How many times do you have to take a bath? Once for a lifetime, right? That's what our single guys say. <laughs> Have you ever had two opinions about something? Yes. Yes. Anybody? Yes. yes. I, I need you to speak to me tonight. I, I came up. Raise your hand if you've had two opinions about something. Halfway up. All right, raise your other hand. <laughs> raise both hands. Now you're halfway towards getting filled with the Holy Ghost. Woo! James 4.8. Come near to God, and He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You know what double-minded means? It means that you have two opinions about something. The idea that you wash your robes, and then you go into righteousness, and that's the end of the story, is something that a track salesman has sold you. But it is not true. The truth is, is every time you have two opinions and one of them is not God's, you have to wash again. Come on. Now, how many Come of you on. raised your hands earlier? Yeah, look, if you have to wash your hands for the coronavirus to go into any store, if you have to wash your hands just 
to please those with a magical mask faith, then how much ought you to be washing your hands and feet to Come purify on. yourself for the yeah. work of the Lord? Yeah. But once you have, I mean, once you have, then you could stand at this labor and say, I am no longer double-minded. I know who you are and who you are changing me into. I see the image that you have created me to be, and I must, I must go into <laughs> yes. the holy place yes. because I need to be instructed by your spirit of Come holiness. Amen. You cleaned me up, Lord, but now I need you to instruct me. I'm nearer to you now than I once was, but your spirit will be in me and I will know your will and be able to walk in your way. Amen. See, this is a daily process. It's yes. a regular process. Yes. The thing that you come to after the labor is the menorah for a reason. And it's the first item in the holy place. Let's see this on the next slide. It's item number four. This reminds me of Deuteronomy 1, 33. Who went ahead of you on your journey in fire by night and in a cloud by day to search out places for you to camp and to show you what the way you should go. See, it's at this point we are declaring, Lord, it is your spirit that will go before me. It is your spirit that is searching out where I'm to be positioned and illuminating how I'm to get there today and the next day and the next day. See, it's a cry that says, Lord, I cannot see what to do or where to go unless your spirit leads me. And it's a cry that says, lead me, O Lord. Let your fire by night, let your cloud by day instruct and show me where I'm supposed to go. Now, as bad as the cessationists can be in other areas, you may have been told your entire life that once you get saved, then you are clean. The Bible does not tell that story. You are credited with cleanness that you must become. Yes. Once you wash at the labor and you are made new, that doesn't mean that you can never become of two opinions about something again. In fact, it happens almost as soon as you take your eye off of him. Yeah. Well, the charismatics, the non-cessationists, you also have a big problem. I got filled with the Holy Ghost. Yeah. Mm. yeah, this has nothing to do with that. You also got a merit badge when you were a Boy Scout. This has everything to do with his present leading yes. in this yeah, interaction, yes. not a future interaction, not a past interaction, the present yeah, interaction. Yeah. Yes. Isaiah eleven two says this, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear, the yare of the Lord. See, now that I'm clean, now that you're clean, we've got to have the Spirit of God to help us. We've got to have the Spirit of God to illuminate the path that we must walk in. He's got to rest upon us. Lead us in the direction, Lord. Lord, I don't even know what to pray rightly. I need you to lead me where I need to go. Show me what I need to do. Show me what you want, Lord. May the light of your menorah, that sevenfold spirit, show me what I must do. I've got clean hands where I must go because I've got clean feet. What I must feel, what I must think. How different is this from the way that you often address and ask the spirit to help you? Lord, I don't even know what to think unless you tell me. 
My feelings are so off the wall. Lord, I need you to show me by your spirit what you want me to do. I've been cleansed. I stand before you now righteous. Help me by leading me in your good way through the power of your spirit, the illumination of the menorah. In Psalm 143 in verse 10, teach me to do your will for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. See, when you rightly come to the menorah, in every prayer time, it might sound like this. Lord, I am a new creation, but I won't know how to act and what to say unless your spirit of holiness moves me to do it. I'm asking you to lead me in prayer with you. Lead me in interaction with you. Share your thoughts with me. What should I be talking with you about today? Teach me, direct me, instruct me by your spirit. This is entirely different than showing up to a genie with your Christmas list. This is him driving the process because he knows and you don't know. And it's a sinful error of presumption to think that you do. You need his spirit of holiness to show you how to pray. Do you hear the level of dependency that this requires? And it's a daily dependency that is required for this. In Acts 13, 2, we see the same thing. While they were worshiping the Lord, worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. While these spirit-filled believers were following God's protocol, meaning they were worshiping. They were entering through the gates of praise of his name. They were fasting, which is synonymous with repentance. They were being washed in the image of who God made them. The Spirit said, the Spirit illuminated something. And see, they didn't bring their Christmas list to him. The Spirit was revealing what they had never considered of Barnabas and Saul being set apart for the work which God called them to do. The Spirit was revealing to them as they were drawing near to God in the right protocol. Come on, that's incredible. Revelation 2.29 says this, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. See, Lord, now you're directing me. Now, in your light, I am able to see light. You're illuminating my path. You're telling me what to do. Your will, your desires are now becoming clear to me. Lord, I'm starting to see what your heart is focused on. Yeah. Like, like Barnabas and Saul. Do you understand that they weren't praying to see who that they could set apart or who they could send out? They were just praying and fasting. They were just asking and the Spirit of God illuminated who they were supposed to talk to, who they were supposed to anoint and lay hands upon. Come on now. If you've ever actually done this rightly, you know that you've been thinking about one thing and the Lord starts speaking to you about something entirely different. But Lord, I need to know about this. And he just ignores that part because you have not been in the Spirit. But as the Spirit is illuminating, you go, wow. What the Spirit is saying to the churches. Lord, show me what's on your heart. Your heart is about the churches here. Lord, speak to me through your Spirit. Illuminate your way to me. Through the menorah of your presence. Have you ever thought it was hard to hear from God? I'm not going to make you raise your hands to commit to that position. But now that you have been honest, let me punish you for it. 
it's not hard to hear from God. You're just talking to him about something he doesn't want to talk to you about. Very true. That's a good word. Very good word. Lord, should I buy a Dodge or a Chevrolet? Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at your word because I'm going to actually buy the Chevrolet, but I'm going to pretend that there's a decision here. See, that's what most of our prayer lives look like. And, of course, God would never want you to buy a Chevrolet or a Dodge. Dodge. Right. He'd want you to have a King Ranch Ford, Tom. <laughs> look, let me back up for a second, okay? What's happened is you see the goodness of God. And you are venturing towards Him because of who He is. Not what He'll do for you because you're attracted to Him. Yeah. Then, as you focused on that, you come to grips immediately with something in you that needs to die. Not a specific action, everything that causes those actions. Yes. Not managing sin, executing the sinful nature. Come on. Now the truth is, at that point you're a son, but you have no idea what to do. So you go to the laver and you're asking him to renew the image for which he created you and you were designed in that laver. And you're not getting saved at the laver. It's more like baptism. You are dedicating your hands and feet to what you now know you must be. Now you're before the menorah. And it's the first time in your walk that day or in your life, depending on what we're talking about, that you've started to act like a son who is in right standing. You're asking him for the spirit of the father to show you what your conversation with him should be about. How many times have we just blabbed like imbeciles in the presence of the holy and the divine? But if you actually are receiving direction from him, if you're actually opening up saying that you want it, it might sound something like, Lord, I know that you have made me your son. You have renewed your image in me. And I am now being directed by your spirit. But how would I know that your spirit is speaking to me unless you also showed me in your written word? Speak to me from your word as I approach the table of your presence Amen. because your spirit and your word always agree. And I trust you more than I trust me. Since I'm your son, will you confirm what I think I'm hearing from you in your word? Wow. Let's look at the next slide and see that proximity of the showbread. It's number five at the top. This is Deuteronomy 33, nine in action. He said of his father and mother, I have no regard for them. He did not recognize his brothers or acknowledge his own children, but he watched over your word and guarded your covenant. See, it's in this moment the Spirit is leading me to his word that then gives me instructions. And I'm saying, Lord, your Spirit has led me to watch over your word more than any other relationship in my life. See, the comparison that's being made in this passage that guarding, being washing over his word, guarding over his covenant takes precedence of that of my own family. That by your spirit, I can see how your word directs me to the ultimate priority of guarding my covenant with you. That all other covenants are to fall under subjugation to the covenant that I have with you. And it's the spirit leading me into his word that allows me to watch over it. That allows me and empowers me to be able to guard over that covenant. 
Second Samuel seven twenty one says, For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. Lord, you've illuminated your will to me. Now let it be for the sake of your word. You have done this great thing. Lord, that your spirit will always lead us into his word. From the bread of your word, God, you've made it known to us. Now that we've had it confirmed, we saw it in the light of your menorah, and now we're able to taste. We're able to have that intimacy. We're close with you. And we can hear you speaking us to us through your word, Lord, that your spirit would always lead us to the word. Psalm 119, verse 169. May my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Lord, I believe your spirit is leading me and I see from your word what your will is. You are giving me understanding into your working and desire on earth. That's what the agreement of the spirit and the word look like as you're standing in the holy place. And you know what you still haven't done? Lord, I really would like the dodge. That hasn't happened because he is driving the priority of your conversation. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. See, it's having this attitude of, Lord, I know that your spirit has led me because I see it happening in your word. That when you have the agreement of the spirit and the word, it will drive out every other priority. It will align your heart and your mind with heaven. It will set you apart for his use. And that I long for his word because it is what will set me apart. It is will what, what will sanctify me. And I, I need his truth because I need to be sanctified Amen. daily. I need the thoughts and attitudes of my own heart, weighed, measured, separated before God, and thrown away what doesn't belong, and what is left is useful for God. Revelation 19, 13 says this, He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and His name is the Word of God. Come on. The armies of heaven were following Him. The armies of heaven were following the word of God, riding on, a white, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. God, because I'm your son, drawn by your great name and character, I've had my sinful character burned away at your altar. I've had my hands and feet washed. I am led by your spirit, and now it is my great joy to follow you in exactly what your word says, just like the armies of heaven, Amen. except I get to do it now, and Amen. I get to do it with you. Yes. Second Peter 1.19 And we have the word of the prophets made more certain. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. Lord, I was drawn by the greatness of your name. You changed my character at your altar. You renewed your image in me at the laver, washing my hands and feet. As a son, I was prompted by your Spirit at the menorah, and I have just seen it confirmed in the table of the presence of God, your word. Yes. 
I am certain that now I know your will. And I will move to the golden altar in prayer so that I can partner with you in what you want done on earth. What you want to accomplish on earth. Lord, I am but a partner with what you have said you want done. You used the spirit, the menorah, and you used the table of the presence, the word, to dial in the latitude and the longitude. Lord, I am now dialed in and I am calling on the artillery of heaven to hit the earth with power from God about what you now know He wants done. This is how you pray and know that it will happen (laughs) because God told you that He wanted it to happen. That's different than praying about... James said, when you ask, you don't receive... Because you ask with selfish motives. It didn't come from God. Come on. But if it comes from... Why did when Jesus prayed, it happened? Because He was only praying about the things the Father revealed to Him. Why when He prayed for somebody to be healed, did they always get healed? He prayed for the ones His Father wanted to heal. Come on. See, when you make these assumptions, You make the sacrifices of fools. What we want is to stand at the golden altar in a golden relationship with the Lord. Come on. Sweet smelling incense rising because your sin's been long gone. You hadn't thought about that in a while. Come on. Your commitment is not in question. You hadn't thought about that in a while. All you have been concerned with is lead me into your righteous will. Show it to me in your word. Now you step up to the altar like somebody with a machine gun taking target to advance the kingdom. Oh, that's my kind of language. What we're sharing with you tonight is a protocol of how to have confidence. Confidence to call in the coordinates and knowing that the artillery of heaven is going to land on that exact spot when you open your mouth. We see here in the slide, it is number six, that is the golden altar. In Leviticus 16, 12, it says, He is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain. Oh, we have this position before God. We are declaring that, Lord, your spirit and your word have conformed, confirmed your will to me. And I am speaking to you about your will being done on earth as it is in heaven. I am praying with confidence and with surety as the incense of my prayers are entering behind the curtain and ascending before your throne. I have confidence that you hear exactly what I am saying because I have your partnership and will at work inside of me. Come on, somebody say confidence. 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 This is how you're going to have confidence in your prayers. Isaiah 53, 12 says, therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. He will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. See, now that I've become like you, God, I too will make intercession. I see that you did this. And now that I'm standing before the golden altar, I know what's on your heart. I've dialed it in from the word, from the spirit. I know what you want. The coordinates are right. Lord, I'm calling in the artillery. I know 
I know that my prayers are being heard. I am confident as I stand before you that this will happen. I'm not guessing. I'm not hoping. I'm not wishing. I know that what I am praying will happen on this earth because you have spoken it to me. You illuminated it to me and you led me there. I know that my prayers are being heard. I know that the smoke from this altar is getting to your very, very throne room. I know, I know that what's going on, I can be confident. Somebody say confidence. Confidence. How many of you were here on Monday night? Man, that's so many. What an awful meeting, right? Yeah, that was moving, wasn't it? You stayed and prayed for more than three hours afterwards. I'm just going to tell you the unadulterated truth about it. That was born out of a prayer meeting earlier that day. Several of your faces came before me as I was praying and the topic was given to me standing in the holy place so that when I stood at the golden altar, I took absolute aim at your lives. And I did because I knew what God wanted to accomplish in you. And I'm going to tell you the truth. He did exactly what we prayed He would do because... He was driving the prayer, not us. Come on. This was not our Christmas list. Lord, kill him because I'd like him dead. Lord, give me that car because I want one. Lord, do this for the people in Africa. This was something that God breathed into us and we took yes. aim at yes. because it, it was originated in Him. If you want to see that scripturally, that's 2 Chronicles 20, verse 15. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Yerul. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, O Judah and Jerusalem. I want to tell you that when you get to the golden altar, when you know that the Spirit has confirmed it and the Word has confirmed it, the Spirit led you and the Word directed you. The battle is yours, Lord. You have chosen this. You have directed this. I am partnering with you, Lord, in what you want to do. I will hold my position in prayer until your will is brought about on earth. I am your son and you are my father. I am certain of the outcome of this battle because you have told me, but I take my stand with you. That's what a healthy prayer life looks like. And if I'm completely honest... I'm just now learning it. If you have misunderstood the tabernacle, it's because I had an inadequate understanding of this. As we've gone into the celestial realm's teachings, it has driven me to my knees in prayer. And this is coming alive to me. And I am winning the victories on the mountain of prayer before I face the situation the next day so that I already know what God wants done. And the funny thing is people are like, oh, that you really knew what to do? <laughs> no, he told me yesterday, and all we are doing is walking it out. 
We want the whole church learning to pray like this yes. because we know it will bring the kingdom of God in the daily events of men. Church, you want to be certain of the outcome because he's told you so. We're going to gain this same confidence. We're going to go through the same process that Eric just described. We're all going to learn together how, learn together how to have this kind of right confidence before God. It'll look something like Acts chapter 4, verse 24. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against the, his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. This is a cry that says, Lord, through your spirit and through your word, I can stand with confidence in the face of trials to my enemies. I know and I am certain that you are the sovereign Lord and your power and your will is at work in my situation at all times. That I can stand before you, Lord God, partner with your will, request your power to fill me as your kingdom comes and as your will is being done through me on earth as it is in heaven. This is the confidence that God is giving us when we're following his right protocol. Revelation 8 and verse 3 says this. In a most clear, picturesque version of what we are teaching you right now, listen to this passage. Revelation 8, 3. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. Are you seeing this in the heavens that what this was the pattern after? Verse 4, the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of the saints went up before the very throne of God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumbles, flashings of lightning and an earthquake. What happened here, church, is they got, this angel got the coordinates dialed in. The prayers of the saints were rising up. It got dialed in. And now our prayers are aligned with your desires, Lord. And we're offering them up. And it causes change on the earth. Yeah. It brings lightning. It brings thunder. It brings an earthquake. It brings whatever is needed that the angelic realm is able to throw and act on our behalf because we've been praying. We have the effectual, fervent prayers of the righteous, the prayers that were directed by the illumination of His Spirit, confirmed in the Word, and now it's creating massive changes on the earth. Come on now, church. How's your prayer life tonight? Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. My heart and mind are at rest, Lord, because I have partnered with you in what you want to do. Yeah. It will happen because you have declared it. 
We have no burden between you and I. I am right with you and have done all that you have directed me to do in this moment. I am now your son dwelling with you. Friends, I want you to catch that we're now going to go beyond the veil. If that's what your prayer life looks like, and remember, it took five steps just to get to the place where you knew God's will to be in prayer. See, when you skip those steps, you end up not knowing what to talk to the Lord about and not dealing rightly with the holy things. Those five steps are there for a reason. You go from the gate of praising His name, concentrating on His character, straight to the place where you have to get rid of your nature, the brazen altar. And then you renew your image as it was intended to be from God at the laver. Then you move straight to the menorah where you are starting to receive instruction from the Spirit of Holiness. And then that Spirit will confirm what He says to you vis-a-vis His Word, the table of presence. Now you stand at the golden altar and all that He has shown you, you have shared with Him. Think of what it would mean then to step into His throne room. See, we stroll in here and we're like, oh, I thank you, God, that I can enter your presence. Like, like you're in sweats putting your shoes up on Donald Trump's desk or something. You can do that to him or his predecessor if you want to. But I'm talking about the monarch of the universe. And yes, he's your father. But I got to tell you, meeting with a good father when you have not done what is right can be an awesome and terrifying thing. If you do this protocol right, when you get in the throne room, the last step looks very much like the first step. We're going to go through them in fairly rapid succession because we're an hour and 15 minutes in and what we have for you is worth your full attention, especially especially right at the end. Okay, so it's like one-third the length of your favorite movie so far. Amen. (laughs) Exodus 25, verse 8. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Oh, it's here. We say, Lord, I'm at your throne. I stand at rest in your holiness. I stand in right order with you, and there's no distance between you and me. You dwell with me. I dwell with you. And it's here in your holy of holies that I stand in all of your name. I stand in holiness with you. Second Kings nineteen fifteen says, And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. This cry that says that there is none like you, Lord. Lord, what originally drew me to you. I was so far away and I saw something on the horizon. I was drawn to your name and now I realize that it's a thousand times better than what I thought it was at the beginning because I stand before you. I am close to you. I see your majesty. I feel your presence. Your name, your character are before me. Your ability to change me is overwhelming me. Who you are, you alone are God. There is none like you, O Lord God. 
What a beautiful thought for us tonight. This reminds us of Psalm 45, 6. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. So you find yourself in this place, once having been drawn to His name, now you are in His name. A part and a partner of His name. You can say to Him, your throne in my life will never cease. You are altogether righteous, and I am altogether enthralled with worshiping you. You no longer need or want anything from Him except to exalt His name. There's no business left between the two of you. You have discharged all the burdens of your heart and life, and you are just loving Him for who He is and what drew you to Him in the first place. Come on. Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory. And when we're in that place here at His throne, we are saying, Lord, You will return in glory and You will take Your rightful place on earth as You have in heaven. And I worship You along with the angelic realm, declaring that You reign above all in the heavens, on earth, and inside of me. And standing here with You, I will be partnered with Your rule and with Your reign. Revelation, in that verse, you have to consider something. In Moses' tabernacle, the one sitting on the throne is the Ancient of Days. In Solomon's, the one on the throne is the Ancient of Days. What Matthew has just read to you, it has huge import. The process that we're talking about of being drawn to the Lord and going through these stations and arriving in the throne room, Jesus Christ as a man did that. And He is sitting on the throne. You are not talking to an invisible ancient of days. You are speaking to a glorified man that is the perfect representation of an invisible God sitting there. He is the one that is on the throne. Amen. He is the one that you are looking towards. That is an extraordinary revelation because it tells you that a man can get in the throne room and you now have. You are Amen. like Jesus in the sense that you have been led into the presence of the Almighty God Amen. and you Jesus actually says you are going to sit on the throne with him. That's, yes. We're not going to teach that tonight. But I want you to think about the magnitude of that throne room. Amen. What started as your Rahab looking at a foreign God and longing for him, you are now a part of him. Amen. Let's continue with this exact thought that, that these two men have presented to you. Revelation 21.3 And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men. And He will live with them. They will be His people. And God Himself will be with them and will be their God. See, now that I've rightly progressed through the protocol of the tabernacle, now that I'm standing here in the throne room, I know that not only will God eventually shakan with us, but I can dwell with Him where He is right now. I can dwell with Jesus sitting upon the throne and enjoy this presence of God in an incredible and an unspeakable way. I'm not going to take the time to read to you Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. You should write that down. Let me just read the 23rd verse because it describes this whole process. And the 23rd verse says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. 
for he who promised is faithful. If you've arrived at the seventh step in your prayer time, you end up saying, Lord, you are so faithful. You drew me because of the greatness of your name. And now I extol what your name has done in me and done through me and done for me. There is no one like you. Your name be exalted. You might even say, thank you, Father, for the sonship that I now have. Do you know what this process did? Okay, we're talking about it as prayer, but it's also a life. Deuteronomy 4.7 says, What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to Him? See, you develop the right kind of prayer life. You develop the right kind of protocol for entering His presence. We didn't share it with you, but today what Peyton did was masterful. I I encourage you to get his worship list today. The first two songs are the gate. The next two songs are the altar. The next song is the labor. The next one, the menorah. The next one, the table of the presence. Until we arrived in the holy of holies, the man knew what he was doing. He understands the protocol. We want to go through very quickly a few very important things. Prayer is nearness to God. Examining Joshua 10, prayer is partnership with what God wants to do on earth. Examining Daniel 10, prayer is gaining understanding into God's working on earth. Examining Matthew 6, prayer is not presenting your list to the divine genie in the sky. It is instead seeking His kingdom And His righteousness. Revelation 8. Prayer is a devastating weapon when you have properly dialed in your coordinates by working through God's protocol. Examining James 5, you find that prayer is powerful. It's spirit-led and it's effective. It's word-directed when it is done as God's protocol is designed. There's no limit to the efficacy, to the efficiency of this kind of prayer. You can shut the heavens or you can open them. See, when you know that that's what God wants to do. Before we close, I want to look at an unparalleled truth in a single picture. It's revealed right here. When you go through the gates of praise, you do it with the intention of reaching the Holy of Holies. That's where it will result. But it's my task today to go through this linearly. One of the other pastors will do it the other way. The gates of praise lead you to the need to sacrifice at the altar. Knowing who he is causes you to examine who you are, and you end up circumcising away what doesn't belong. That takes you naturally to the labor where you baptize your hands and feet in doing his will, and you renew the image of God in your life. That carries you to the menorah. And after the Spirit is instructing you, you confirm it in the Word at the table of showbread. That takes you to the altar of incense where what you are praying is God's will on earth and it ascends to His throne which is where you are heading in the Holy of Holies. You know this is a chiastic structure so what is coming next 
is to go through the parallels. You can never get to the Holy of Holies unless you first start rightly at the gates of praise for His name. Lifting up His name, lifting up His authority of His reputation will eventually lead you to understanding and being able to see it up close, not only drawn to it. Look at the two altars there across from each other. The altar of sacrifice, dealing with your own character, your own sinful nature, will allow you to rightly enjoy the fragrant offerings of praying what God's will is and bringing change on the earth. The labor, that washing that clarifies you, it clarifies what you see in yourself and it is confirmed and gives you the right understanding of the very word of God. And then there is the menorah of God's spirit and his presence. Saints tonight, we're sharing with you an astounding revelation. And one that declares that God's sons have the right to be led by God's Spirit. And they want to be led by God's Spirit. See, this is the unparalleled truth at, at the bottom, in the very middle. This is the one point, the whole, the whole reason why this chiastic structure is here. And it has to be followed in the right protocol. The sons of God follow the right protocol. That you start with the gates of praise. It's only then through working in the steps that you can get to the Holy of Holies. But the, you must go through the Spirit of God. See, the, the declaration that Jesus made is that the worshipers that the Father seeks are those who worship in spirit and in truth. While well, you're staring at that, and the unparalleled truth is the menorah, the Spirit of God. And you end up as a son led by God. Let's just be honest. Who started the entire process? John 6.44 says that you can't come to the Father unless you're drawn by His Spirit. See, when you entered the gates of praise and you began exalting His name, you didn't know it yet. But He was drawing you by His Spirit. When you got to the altar of sacrifice and you were really proud that you laid down so you didn't know it, but you were being moved by a spirit then. When you got to the labor and, and you started to wash and then renew and see your image that is redesigned by God, you didn't know it, but that was also a work of the Spirit. Read the book of Titus. So that when you got to the menorah and you said, Lord, speak to me by your Spirit. He said, you are my son and I brought you here for this purpose. It's because you're my son that I will lead you by the Spirit. See, Romans 8.14 is not, well, you have to be led by the Spirit to be a son. It is more like, because you are my son, I will lead you by my Spirit. Amen. From that is how you know the will of God when you pray. Okay? Everything grows out of the Spirit's work in your life. We're at our closing. We're at our last scripture. And I'm thankful that a spirit of holiness didn't allow anybody to yell hallelujah. One hour and 30 minutes. Maybe. If meditated upon the best hour and 30 minutes you could have possibly invested. Amen. What does it take to meet with God? I want to circle back to the very first scripture we shared with you. 
Ecclesiastes 5. 1. Guard your steps. Guard the protocol. Guard the process. Guard this system so that you move through it as God designed it. It came from Him. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Guard it. There's a right way to do this. Go near to listen. You don't know how to pray as you should. It's the only thing that the disciples ever directly said, Jesus, teach us how to do this. Go near to listen. Rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know they've done wrong. Have you been offering a sacrifice of fools? You decided what God wanted to do because you know what you want to do? And you're really just asking Him to be the muscle behind your desires. Lord, make my wife listen to me. Lord, bend my husband to my will. I want you to understand. He he has no pleasure in fools, but He still saves them. He still loves them. He just directs them so that at some point they mature and grow up. This congregation is growing up. But I actually think that all over this room, we need to recognize that much of what we've said and done has simply been foolish. And then come to the astounding truth, He's been good to you anyway. That's not an endorsement of you continuing to do what you've always done. I said, Pastor, that's hard. It's always hard to look introspectively and have to adjust. People don't like to do that. If you find this hard, you'll find every saying of Jesus hard. Just a second. We're going to ask you to repent and approach him rightly. Because He's chosen you as sons to partner with Him in what He wants done. He is not your partner in what you would like to do. You are to partner with Him in what He wants done. It could be that you've misunderstood your calling. Because you didn't really hear it from Him. You presumed it. It could be that you've misunderstood His will because you confused it with your own will. It could be so many things because so often we haven't started with how great He is and how wretched the human heart is. Above all else, it's deceitful. And nobody's more deceived by it than the person that has a heart beating in their chest. You said, no, no, I've been born again. My heart's not that way. Look at your life and tell me that it's not. This process is the cure. Now's a good time to make sure that you actually have dialed in your coordinates. That what you're fighting for is what God is fighting for. 
you'd hate to get to the end of the, the race and find out that you were on the wrong track the entire time. Yeah. Say, but I know I'm saved. This has nothing to do with being saved. It has everything to do with staying saved and being productive. In a congregation that I love this much, it pains me to think that we've offered foolish sacrifices, but I know. I got right here with the two pastors today, right here, and entered into the throne room. But before we got to the throne room, we started with exalting his character. Before long, we were grieving over our own sinful state. The Spirit loves us, so we moved to the labor and realized He washed our hands and feet for this purpose. Then we went to the menorah and said, Lord, we don't know how, we don't know what. I mean, are you sure? Would you please show us? And He did. Then we went to the Word and He confirmed it. Then we began calling out this moment. What I actually believe the Lord said to us at the altar and we began praying is that tonight we would plant a seed. That your fellowship with each other would water. And that God himself would make it grow and that this would revolutionize the way you interact with God. But it couldn't be a one-time sermon. It had to become a daily topic of conversation. That's, that's what we were praying about. So what do you think I expect to happen next? I know what the will of God is. Would you stand to your feet? Father, Lord, we repent in this house. We have been foolish children and we have trampled over holy things, somewhat intentionally and some not intentionally. But Lord, now that we know what we know, Lord, we want to work through your process correctly because we want to get dialed into your will on earth. That's what we really want. Lord, will you come and help us do that? Will you plant a seed in us tonight that can be watered through fellowship that you will make grow throughout our lifetime? In the name of Jesus, we come before you.